episode 39 with my man Roy Hall. And uh, Roy's a former NFL wide receiver, played football at The Ohio State University, was All-State in high school, been a tremendous athlete his whole life. And uh, he's got a very inspirational story. He's now making a difference in communities across not only the city and not only the state, but I think even more on a regional and eventually national level through his Driven Foundation, promoting perseverance and hope for at-risk youth and families in need, Uh, motivational speaker, mentorship programs, events, podcasting, you name it. Roy is uh, making an impact in the community and uh, undoubtedly looks to leave behind a legacy of positivity, hope, and inspiration. So, Without further ado, please welcome the one and only Roy Hall. The Optimal Life. What's happening, buddy? What's up, boss? Long time no talk. Yeah, just a little bit, man. How you doing? Been way too long, man. I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Did you have a nice Father's Day? Yeah, it was solid, brother. It was good, man. What'd you guys do? Uh, Just hung out, man, and uh, ended up going to the movies. And... Uh, that's pretty much it, man. You're always going to the movies with your with your daughter. I gotta I gotta do a better job of doing that too. Yeah, man. How about you? How would everything go? Good, man. Good. You know, we, I've got three now. Okay. So uh, it's it's a, it's always a busy day. It's always a busy weekend, no matter what. Yeah. How many do you have? Yeah, Just one, you have one still, or you have more? No, no. I, well, I've always. I mean, well, I kind of went back to back. I got two. I mean, my son's ten, and my daughter. Oh, that's eight. right. Your son. I forgot about that. Yeah. yeah. So we we. That's how we used to be growing up too. You remember? You oh, you get fixated on that one movie. You got you want to just keep watching it over and over again. Yeah, man. Yeah. It was good though. I mean, you know, I loved it when I saw it the first time too. So I was like, I was like, all right, cool. That's what y'all want to do. What's your favorite? What's your favorite Disney movie of all time? If you had to pick Disney? one, yeah. Oh man. Um. Oh no, bro. It's like all those like animated movies are pretty good, man. Um. I don't know, man. I would have to like look and see. I don't know if I got the all time favorite. You ever see the favorite. You ever see the Lion King? Yeah, I mean old school. Oh hell yeah, anything. Oh, yeah. New old world, King, yeah. Sure. Oh yeah, that's oh, one of my favorites. That's one of my favorites for sure. My kids watch that 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 movie probably at least a hundred times by now. So I'm, <laughs> I could probably repeat every single word. Uh, hey, listen, man. It's good to it's good to reconnect with you. I'm, I've been watching you a little bit on uh, on the social media every now and again, and see you doing your thing with Driven. Uh, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. You and I go back to uh, the high school days when you and my brother were playing playing basketball together. Yeah, man. I, you know, time has gone flown by, right? Like, right. By, uh, Crazy. Know, <laughs> yes. What. 16 years now. Isn't that crazy, man? My senior year in high school. Yeah. Isn't that wild that you've been out of high school almost as long as you were, like, growing up in your in your adolescent minor years? You're almost, yeah. it's like halfway, it's been like another 18 years almost. It's crazy. It's, cra- it's crazy, man. Just yeah. Because, like, you, even when you're, when you're present in the moment, you're like, hey, man, you know, I'm 26. Hey, man, I'm 29. Hey, I'm 30. Hey, and then he's like, I'm 30. Man, then you start doing the math. <laughs> like, man, I'm 16 <laughs> years. And so you really notice it. Um, and I notice it when I'm, like, speaking, whether it's, like, 
to a corporate, you know, company or um, if I'm speaking to an organization or it's like to youth, I got to be careful at dating when I was playing. You know what I mean? So like when you're talking to kids, you can't say, <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, man, exactly. I played for Ohio State from 02 to 06, won the champion, national championship in 2002. And you're talking to fifth or sixth graders and you realize they probably weren't born. And so right. it didn't really help the conversation. They're so going, keep... they're going, who was, uh, who's Roy Hall? Who's Maurice Claret? Right. Who, like, who's, I, don't, uh... I don't even remember these <laughs> yeah. people. And then you got the other end where you're like, oh, you know, I played in the NFL. When'd you last play? It was like 2011. Like, dang, that was like seven years ago. Like, that's so irrelevant now. You know Isn't that I mean? crazy, so... man? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy because that probably puts. I mean, you you had the spotlight shining on you since you were probably way probably before high school, right? Back at what Memorial, Greenview. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think that's when that's when you know you start getting a little bit of a attention. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Uh, when people realize and recognize that you have athletic ability. Um, like probably in the eighth grade is kind of when I kind of came into my own. Seventh grade uh, was pretty solid. I was always good at basketball. I mean, obviously basketball was my first love. And so seventh grade, I was taller than a lot of the kids, extremely athletic. So I played well on the basketball court. But in football in the seventh grade, I played defensive end and I played fullback. And the last game of the season, um, our coach put me at quarterback and I ended up scoring a touchdown on like a 50-yard run. And so going into my eighth grade year, Coach Todd Seaman was like, man, you're going to be my quarterback. We're going to have a, you know, we're going to have a run throw offense or whatever it may be. And kind of came into my own on the football field. And then in basketball, I continued to excel. So that's kind of when people started to take notice a little bit that I had some talent. And my grades were always uh, through the roof. So I had a 4.0, obviously, in middle school and then through the first half of high school. So it wasn't like I had those types of challenges. Right. That's kind of when everything started. Yeah, I think that you were very unique in that way because a lot of guys that, that are athletically gifted and are only focusing on sports really don't give a crap about the schoolwork. And it seemed like you were you had the best. You, you were doing great in both. What was it? What was it that that did it just come easy to you, or did you just have a, a tremendous work ethic on the school end? Uh, the work ethic came from my mom. Just kind of watching her day to day, single mom, you know, busting her tail, you know, get to work, get back from work. Didn't even have a car, or vehicle at the time, and catching the bus to downtown Cleveland, Ohio, and coming back and uh, doing her thing. So that that's kind of what what motivated me. Um, and then just her advice, uh, just to keep my grades up. She really knew and felt in her heart. Uh, that that was the ticket to being successful uh, was just through your academics, at least from a positioning yourself to have the best opportunities that you can have was going to come via the, the the school vehicle. So um, that was that was just a focus of mine. When I was growing up, um, I couldn't get a job uh, when I was eight, nine, ten years old. My mom was transitioning uh, from a, a downward spiral in a relationship with my dad, abusive relationship with my dad. I couldn't really be there for her. From a physical standpoint, couldn't really protect her through some of those moments. And so when I had to do my part, that's the, the tidbit, that's the advice that she gave me. Hey, keep your grades up, keep your head clean, stay out of trouble, uh, do the right thing, and that'll take some of the stress and the burden off of her. So she never had to worry about me or my sister. Um, and so I took that to heart, man. I wanted to be the best. You know, I wanted to be the best athlete, but I wanted to be the best academically. And I kind of kept that same mindset from a little kid all the way through high school that I was going to try and find out who was the best academically in my classroom or in my surroundings and challenge myself to be as good as they were being. And sometimes it worked, sometimes it didn't. I remember there were people uh, at our high school that had maybe a 98 or 99 percent, right, in 
pre-calc or whatever it may be, and I might be strolling in with a 90, but I knew that I could catch a football over the middle and get hit by a linebacker, and they couldn't, so it balanced it out. <laughs> so, exactly. uh, that's just kind of how I went about it. Like, all right, you can have your 98%. I'll take my 92. I'll still get my A or whatever it may be, but I'm going to get this full athletic scholarship as well. So you brought up a, a sensitive point, uh, which I want you to just talk about a little bit, if you would. Uh, you, you talked about the abuse that your mother was going through. At what age did that start for you, and you, did you have to witness it? How did you handle that? Um, from what I can remember, you know, um, five, six, seven, eight years old, um, all throughout those years. I mean, there was like a couple pivotal moments when I was seven uh, that I could remember vividly where um, – you know, I watched her, you know, get beat up, get hit on, um, tried to kind of intervene, uh, wasn't successful. Uh, when I was 12, she had another boyfriend uh, that hit her in the face, broke her nose, uh, split her face basically in half, man, and having to ride in the ambulance with my mom, um, you know, bleeding and all down her hand and arms and her looking me in the face and telling me to be okay and watching her come back, you know, eyes swollen face swollen i mean those are images that you know um i'll always have with me Uh, but at the same time i knew that i still had to do something to make a difference and that was the other side of the motivation i got to put myself in position to be able to take care of my mom to be able to take care of my sister in a way that my father didn't and in a way that you know people that were males in my life didn't do up until that point and that was the sole goal so a lot of times when people told me I couldn't make it, people didn't understand why I was a little bit quiet in school. Like People used to call me conceited and tell me that I was kind of stuck up just because my personality didn't shine through a lot of the pain and a lot of the anger that I was dealing with on the inside. So I knew what I had to do. I knew what I was about, um, and I knew uh, what was at stake. And so I made sure I tried to do everything I could to position myself to be great, man, and and to really be able to take care of my family. Oh, that's beautiful, bro. That's beautiful. I, I got to tell you, I think I was one of those people, too, because I didn't know you that well. I just knew your public persona. Obviously, I had no clue what you'd gone through and, and the type the types of things that happened behind closed doors. All I know from you is that you're a good-looking dude who's got these athletic talents and gifts and, uh, you know, the man, basically the man in high school and things look to seem to come easy to you. And I used to think to myself, man, this dude's got a head the size of the gym, man. If this dude could pull it back and and just be less less cocky or conceited, and it's just so funny as, as human beings, that's what we do, man. We we just we pass judgment sometimes without even really analyzing the situation or getting to know what's going on. So for me, looking at you, I used to be like, I, I like the I like Roy, but man, he seems like he's impossible to even approach or talk to. Uh, but based on what you're, saying. a, lot, a yeah. lot of times that's what happens. That's what happens just in in life. It's amazing to me that um, just in general, right? How adults, and this is no knock on you. This is just how we are. Like you said, as people, how uh, we pass judgment on sixteen and seventeen and eighteen year olds. Like they're supposed to have a dynamic personality. They're supposed to be fun and outgoing and high fiving and you know teamwork makes the dream work and. Like, nobody ever really gets to know the person ever. And that's not just in high school. That's in college and professionally. Like, we look at these athletes on TV. If we can see them, we feel like we know them. Specifically now with social media, there's so much access to guys, and guys will post things, and you kind of think you get to know them. But you have no idea what guys are going through and what people are dealing with. And so in high school, like, it's like, man, listen, 
I'm, we originally, like, we grew up in South Euclid eventually, but we from inner city Cleveland, come from nothing, don't have nothing. I was bullied when I was a little kid because we didn't have money. We didn't have things. Mom bouncing checks in the stores, like, having to put groceries back in line, having to, you know, walk wow. out the grocery store with no food because the checks didn't clear. Back in the day, you used to slide a check through. It was a check slider. Right. And so it wouldn't work. Like, all these challenging moments. And then you get to a, like, think about it like this. When I went to Brush, Brush was about 20% African-American, 20% black. Now it's about 90% African-American. So you go from inner city Cleveland to a place where people don't look like you, where your neighbors look at you funny and look at you weird. And you basically build the shelter. You fortify yourself away from distraction almost, and away from those types of challenges. And in high school, I can remember, like, everybody that I talked to, like they're like, hey man, you were either like we were either in your inner circle or not, yeah. and so a lot of that was to protect. And when you got people on the outside that you don't know, it's like man, it's not my job or the high school player of you know NFL or college players to appease to people. Like you just got to be the best version of you that you know how to be. Um, so yeah. it's, it's definitely an interesting conversation, yeah. man. But um, it's not the first time that I heard it, which is always funny to me because I'm like, man. I've never even talked to you before. Like, how did you think right. that I was X, Y, and Z? So it's always interesting yeah. to hear those things, man. Yeah, it is. But, but you know, you're, you're putting yourself, you're, you're out there, you're you're in front of uh, hundreds or thousands of people, your name's in the newspaper. You're right. People want people want to paint a picture, and they have these expectations of you. Like, hey, at 17 or 18 years old, they expect you to be like a full-grown adult and have all the things figured out in the world. It just doesn't work that way. And like you said, it goes it goes well into adulthood, man. We do that we do that almost every single day as a human beings, passing judgment or or making rash reactions to the way people are. And you don't know what people are going through. I mean, you came into the system where you probably didn't have a whole lot of uh, probably had zero trust when it came to the male race, uh, male adult figures, right? Oh, not at all. I mean, it yeah. took me a while. Um, I mean, I think the first person I could put the word trust with and 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 male is Eric Mitchell, who was my high school football coach. Um, right. You know, he was first. You know, him and him and Jed Dunn, who coached Dunn, coached me when I was in the eighth grade, um, and we got tight in the eighth grade. But I think it wasn't until he coached me again my sophomore year where we really clicked back up and, and and got tight. But Coach Eric Mitchell was the first person to say to me like, "Hey, you know, I see something special in you that's just not on the field." But I just want to make sure that you have that male role model in your life that can help you uh, through and through. And he didn't do it by just talking to me. He did it just by showing up, you know, picking me up when I need to be picked up. You know what I mean? Dropping me off when I need to be dropped off, staying late if I need to stay late. You know, those types of things that you need as a young man. And, you know, still to this day, I don't have many of them, but there are a lot of people um, that need male role models, which is part of the reason why. Um, I do so much work with the youth with my Driven Foundation. Yeah, it's it's, it's beautiful stuff. Um, and so then going through the high school thing, I mean, you were you started just blossoming in what sophomore year? Things really started picking up for you in terms of uh, both basketball and football. Uh, sort of. You know what? The end of freshman year. I mean, I ended up playing varsity football and varsity basketball. Yeah. And uh, was on the four by one and four by four track uh, track uh, relay teams uh, with those varsity squads. So. Um, I ended up lettering in all three sports my freshman year. Uh, but after my freshman wow. year in football was where everything kind of kicked off. Um, I actually uh, started the season off on the freshman squad playing quarterback because I used to play quarterback. And uh, they had me playing freshman football, playing quarterback. 
and uh, Coach Joe Vassilotti walked into the McDonald's that I was working in. I would go to practice and then leave practice and go work at McDonald's, and I would work at McDonald's because I wanted to, again, I wanted to, I was making $5.10 an hour at the time because that's what minimum wage was. I wanted to do my part and help my mom. So, you know, I would work 16 hours a week. I would work 11 to 7 on Saturdays and Sundays. So during the week, you know, you got practice and games and things. And then on the weekend, you know, we had freshman games at 9 in the, or 8 in the morning. I'll turn around, go to work, work 11 to 7, Saturday and Sunday, come and go back to school on Monday. So one day when I was uh, at McDonald's, I'm working front cash register, front register, and Coach Joe Vassilotti, who was the head football coach at Brush at the time, walked in, ordered some food, but he also had a playbook with him. Like, hey, we, you know, we want to make a couple moves. I know you'll have a, couple, a, a, a lot of time to talk right now, but I would love to you look into or consider playing wide receiver for us at the varsity level. And so, wow. you know, obviously I was excited about it. Uh, called him after I got off work. We talked about it, met up on Monday after school. And, you know, next thing you know, I was playing with the varsity. So yeah. they gave me like five or six plays to learn. And, and I balled out, played pretty well um, as a freshman and went to a camp, uh, Indiana football camp. So went to, you know, Indiana Hoosiers, went up there uh, with about 20 of us. I think Coach Mitchell went with us and a couple other coaches. And after that camp, uh, T.J. Weiss, who was the receivers coach for Indiana, said, hey, you know, pull Coach Mitch to the side and say, we're going to offer Roy a scholarship. Like, he has what it takes. We see it already. We see his potential. Um, God damn. And they, that was when I got my first Division One scholarship. You got that going, into your, so- you got that going into your summer year, uh, sophomore year. That's insane. Yeah, going That's to my cool. sophomore year. And yeah. so then my sophomore year, I blew up. Um, yeah. You know, had a great season. Uh, we didn't have a great season as a team, but I had a great individual season. Uh, had some good quarterbacks that year. And, and uh after my sophomore year is when everything took off. So Ohio State offered me, everybody offered me. And once Ohio State offers you, pretty much the whole country is going to offer you. And by the time my junior year was there, I mean, I could have went anywhere in the country, man, for yeah. football. Basketball yeah. was a different story. Uh, freshman year, you know, played varsity, averaged six or seven points a game. Uh, didn't start, didn't play a lot. My sophomore year had a, a great season. My junior year in basketball was when. Hey, man, I uh, think you might have averaged more points than my brother did as a senior. No, no offense. Yeah. <laughs> no offense, Rye. We, we know that you did your part, Rye. Rye did his part. I, yeah. I actually didn't know what I wanted to do until my junior year, man. I really wanted to play basketball, but I stopped growing. I'm 6'2", yeah. and uh, I've been 6'2", 6'3", so to speak, since, I don't know, I was a freshman in high school, man. So once I realized that I wasn't going to be a point guard, um, you know, and that a six three receiver is is kind of elite. So yeah, I went the football route. Yeah, you you, pro- you you were you always holding out hope still? Like, uh, at what point did you say, okay, it's going to be football? Was it junior year? Yeah, it was junior year. Yeah. Um, I, like I mean, I talked to my, co- I mean, even my junior year, I was first team all state, division one in basketball. Yeah, you there? Yep. Sorry, man, we lost a little bit of that, but you, you, but you were, you were uh, Division One. You were, you were uh, your junior year. You were All State. LeBron had won Mister Ohio that year. That was your best basketball year, though. Clearly, right of the four years. Yeah, I think my junior year was probably, from a statistic standpoint, average twenty four points, nine rebounds. Uh, my senior year, I was I think I was twenty two and ten or something like that. But um, you know, my junior year was probably my best, my best basketball year, and got yeah. some good accolades. First team Division One All State, which is really good. But again, uh, from a Division One level, from a basketball standpoint, I wasn't a point guard, so at six three, you know, you kind of at a disadvantage. And uh, so, you know, but football was still there, and that was good. Yeah, and that thing, you and LeBron will, will forever be inter intertwined because of that that amazingly intense, crazy day. 
fast break on the lake back in January of whatever that year was. It was uh, your senior season. And uh, you guys play in St. V at Cleveland State, and obviously there was the, the whole thing where, where there was a fast break and you kind of lowered the shoulder. Talk talk about that play, if you would. Uh, it's not so much the play. It was just, I think it was the whole game, man. We had a um, we had an opportunity to obviously play St. V, and, you know, we had some Division One talent on our team in football, Marcel Frost, mm-hmm. uh, who later went on to sign with Ohio State, playing tight end and defensive end. Uh, Ray Mosby, who could have went to a D1 school to, to long jump and high jump. Uh, and obviously, I was on the squad. So, we had some great guys on the team that could match up, I thought, pretty well with those guys uh, from St. V. And uh, I thought we played pretty well uh, up until maybe the fourth quarter um, where we they obviously took over. But that specific play that you mentioned, I mean, all day, I think the refs allowed us to kind of – sometimes you hear to say, oh, the refs are letting them play today. And they let us play, man. Forearms in the back, trash yeah. talking, yeah. hard fouls. It was a lot going on the entire game. It was almost like um, the refs were in awe just watching us go back and forth. Um, so it was a lot of intense, intensity in that game. And, you know, LeBron's probably one of the best trash talkers uh, that people don't know about. And I think at the time, uh, he just kind of looked at Brush as being, you know, a school that's just they shouldn't be on the court with him, man. He's from the inner city of Akron. You know, and, you know, sometimes you get on the court, you start trash talking. The crazy thing is Coach Jed Dunn is from Akron, and he was the head basketball coach at Brush at that time. And he had told us all about LeBron. So he said, hey, he's a great kid, comes from, you know, bad background, but just does the right things, keeps his grades up. And he had told (laughs) me about LeBron. Listen, he told Uh, me about LeBron when I was in the eighth grade. Yeah, yeah, of course. And so I knew about him. So by the time senior year came around, he had hyped up LeBron to be such a great guy. Right. When I got on the court with him, I thought it was just going to be like, hey, you know, what's up, man? Good to meet you. Yeah, friendly competition. Friendly competition. Man, it wasn't nothing like that. I mean, it was was crazy, man, where – I mean, he was running his mouth, man, talking about your family, talking about where you're from, cut like, you know what I mean, just street hood talk. And I'm right. like, okay. So I had to hit another switch. <laughs> but the problem is, when I hit the switch, that's not where yeah. I like I reside. That's not where my no. area is, right? So I could talk it with you, but it was messing me up, talking trash back and forth to him because that just wasn't my game. Right. It never had been. So um, it's kind of like we was talking about earlier. Like, I don't necessarily have to say a lot. I just go out and do stuff. So. Right. You know, we got to it, got under my skin. You know, we throwing elbows, so to speak, you know, fighting for loose balls. And he ended up getting a steal, and he was on a fast break. And so I kind of gave him a little forearm before he took off the floor. Um, and LeBron's been dramatic. I mean, when he gets fouled now, he's dramatic. So yeah. he kind of, like, flew into the tier list. I don't know, man. It was bad, though. It was, yeah. a, bad, you, it was you, a bad foul. It wasn't a basketball play, and it was definitely immature on my part. But he got the point. Like, I'm not about to be pushed around just because you think I'm from Lynnhurst, Ohio. Right. And you can do whatever you want to do. So, yeah. Um, anyway, hey, man, sometimes you got to sometimes you gotta protect the house. Moment. Yeah. Say that because again? We had, we had uh, Coach Dunn actually pulled me out the game. It was six minutes left. Pulled me out the game. Put, hey, hey, man, eventually you got to go apologize to him. I tried to apologize to him. Obviously, he wasn't having it. Um, and, and that was it. Have man. you ever we seen him since? Him. Uh, it was crazy because Sheon Cotton, who was one of his teammates that year, um, was a year younger than me. And the following year, he signed with Ohio State to play defensive tackle, came down there. And I got cool with Sheon. And uh, Sheon brought LeBron down there. I think him going into the draft, 
and I saw him out one night. I don't know. We dabbed each other up, but he probably didn't even remember who I was, man. So who knows? Yeah, yeah. That was a pretty wild, wild moment, man. One of those moments in life. But like you said, sometimes you just gotta you gotta be the protector. You know, you gotta protect the the turf and. It was an intense game. It was definitely an intense game, and uh, one one of those games I'll never never forget. I, I loved your entire senior year because I was at Miami of Ohio going to school, and I'd come home and watch you guys play every once in a while. It was such a cool thing. See, that team that you guys had that senior year was a really good team. Really well, good team. Listen, man, it was we had a squad, man. Yeah. We had a squad, brother. And when you guys I beat – I don't even think you played in this game, but when you guys beat uh, Warren Harding, who I think was like a top five team in the state – yeah. Uh, that was just an incredible moment. They incredible. actually had a guy on that squad, Prescott Burgess, yeah. um, who uh, it went on to play at that team up north. Um, he played, I think, safety <laughs> or, or, or outside linebacker up there. Yeah, And uh, it was good, man. I don't know how Warren Hardy ended up in our district for that. It was all whacked up that senior year. Yeah. Um, it, it was funny. I didn't play in that game. Well, I actually played a little bit in that game, not much. Mm-hmm. I missed the first game against Garfield Heights because in Woodshop, I was creating something, cut the tip of my finger off, and wish up. And so uh, I missed two weeks playing ball going into the playoffs um, because of an accident in woodshop class. It was hey, crazy. That's a, a note to any high school woodshop teachers, if they're even around. Don't let your star athletes fucking do woodshop two weeks before a big game. <laughs> Jesus Christ. God damn. Hey, uh, talk real quick about uh, you end up going off to Ohio State. What was your favorite moment at Ohio State uh, of all the years? What was your favorite football moment individually? Well, two. It's two. I think they're 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 both weighted the same. One, um, winning a national title as a freshman, uh, playing on that squad, seeing those seniors, Mike Dawes, Donnie Nicky, Kenny Peterson, uh, Sidney Grant, those guys coming back for their senior year and leading us to a title. Me coming from Brush, where we had won a total of let me see, two and eight. Let me see, one and nine, two and eight, two and eight, and then for, we won nine games of varsity football. My four years at Brush. <laughs> and to go from there and to be to be undefeated, um, go fourteen and zero, win a national title, understand what it takes to win, be around those guys was absolutely awesome to get that national title win off yeah. top. And then my who was that? Craig, year, that was Craig Krenzel, right? Yeah, Craig. Yeah. yeah, Craig was a junior that year. Yeah, yeah, yeah so okay. he was a junior that year. And then senior year um, at Ohio State, playing in the shoe. Um, Winning 42-39 against that team up north on senior day. My mom was there. She was on the field. Um, it was awesome. Had some friends in the stands, man. Caught a touchdown pass that game. But that whole game was huge. It was the, I think, 110 or 100 anniversary of the game. Uh, Bo Schembechler had just passed away. So it was a lot going on. And it was the number one team in the nation versus the number two team in the nation to go to the national title game. Amazing. And so that was a, a very, very special I think you had, like, what, three or four catches on that drive, right, that opening drive? It, yeah, yeah, yep. that was beautiful, man. That was beautiful. Whatever happened to Santonio, man? He was like, he was huge. He had a huge college career. Had a big NFL career. Caught that amazing touchdown pass in the end of the back of the end zone for the Steelers. What, whatever happened to him? He stay, keeps a low pro, profile now. Well, uh, Santonio's back in Columbus uh, right now. He's uh, actually kind of working with the Ohio State football team a little bit. Um, I know he was around him a lot during the spring, probably just consulting with the receivers and just being around. And I'm not sure if he's going into coaching or whatnot. Uh, uh, I know he has his own foundation, and nice. uh, they're fighting fighting back against sickle cell. And I know one of his sons has sickle cell, and, and so he's uh, um, just doing his work from that standpoint. But he recently moved back to Columbus, man, bought him nice. a house here. So nice. he's married and doing his thing, man. I believe he's taking classes at Ohio State as well. So 
Oh, that's great, uh, I know man. he has big things coming up. I would imagine that he would probably want to go into coaching or something like it. Yeah, uh, because he's one of the greatest receivers to ever do it. So, man, and uh, yeah, you know, he was a, he was amazing, man. You guys yeah. came in the same class together. He was phenomenal. He was really really talented. Yeah. Uh, so after the NFL, NFL lasted a few years, and you went to the Colts. Did you go anywhere else after the Colts? Um, I went. I was there for three years, mm-hmm. and then uh, it's crazy. My 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 uh, career was just played with injury, and uh, yeah, um, it really started my senior year at Ohio State. Senior year at Ohio State, you know, last play at training camp, man, I got a high ankle sprain, and that kept me out five games. And my rookie year with the Indianapolis Colts blew out my shoulder after week four, week five, got got on IR with that one. And my next year had a knee surgery that kept me out twelve weeks. My third year in Indy. Uh, another knee surgery that kept me out the whole season. So it was three in a row. Um, then got released uh, in 2012 by the Colts. I'm mean, 2010 by the Colts and got picked up immediately, man, by the uh, New Orleans Saints. And uh, it was crazy because the Saints had just beat us in the Super Bowl. Uh, that that. Uh, oh yeah, that yeah. And uh, that was that Tracy Porter interception game, right? Yeah, yeah. 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 And then they picked me up and. Uh, you know, went down there, balled out, got, you know, made the squad or whatever, the, you know, from the workout. And um, right around July, tore some muscles in my left hip, and uh, they ended up releasing me. So there's another injury. Yeah. And then I went to yeah. the UFL uh, after I rehabbed back um, for eight games. And then that season was over, got picked up by the Lions, was with the Lions for three games. And then um, the following year, there was the NFL lockout didn't get signed by the Lions, and then went back to the UFL, tore my hamstring, and that was it, brother. Yeah, it doesn't – hey, man, not for long. You know what they say. You know how it, how it goes. Is, NFL, you know, yeah. Got four and a half years out of it and, and, and was able to do what people said was impossible. And so yeah, everything beautiful. that you learn from those moments, man, build you, build your character and really position you for your next step in life. And that catapulted you right into your Driven uh, Foundation. Talk about Driven, what you guys do, your mission, et cetera. The whole deal is to promote perseverance, man, and build hope, really what we call through a relentless commitment to serving others. And uh, we're so versatile in our approach. We work with youth. We work with families, kids, corporate America organizations. We do consulting, uh, leadership training, uh, mentorship programs, food outreaches. Over the last 10 years, man, we've been able to give away over 850,000 pounds of free food to over 6,500 Central Ohio families. Wow. Uh, we had 10 mentorship programs around the city this year um from fifth grade all the way up through high school we even started one back at brush high school it's a co-ed program called the arc elite leadership academy and uh, we had 18 kids in there uh freshmen through seniors man it was awesome so uh, we're doing some big things man working in the correctional facilities with our clean program uh, man we got a lot of things going on man and uh, it's just a blessing to be able to use uh, my platform uh, to, to make a difference. Uh, you, you're doing a phenomenal job, and you're a very motivational uh, person, motivational speaker. I've watched some of your clips and videos. You're really uh, phenomenal and natural at it. So what is what are some of your main messages to these kids or these, these families that are in need? What, what's the message? Well, first and foremost, everything is going to come back to the mindset of being driven, which to us has three principles. Number one, perseverance, never give up. Number two, resilience. Uh, get back up, and number three, assistance, help others up. So the whole thing is, if you don't give up, you can get back up, and when you get back up, help other people up. So uh, it's really simple, man. So that's the message, right? No matter what we're doing, even if we're giving away food, the whole deal is never give up, never give up, never give up. God hasn't forgot about you, and 
you could keep going if you just make a decision to do that. No matter how hard your situation is, you're not the first person to go through it. And since you're not the first person to go through it, there's obviously a strategy or a blueprint if you want to get through that situation. And so some needs uh, are different. Needs are always changing. What I need today is not what I needed 10 years ago. What you need today and the help you need in your life is not what you needed five years ago. And so Driven just tries to do its part um, in a small in a small like uh, 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 box, so to speak, um, and watch it grow and watch it develop, man. So if we could jumpstart your life, with just a box of food or jumpstart your life by implanting great ideas of possibility for these young people or just give a 45-minute speech on becoming the best version of yourself. Whatever we can do to make a difference, man, is what we're about. What are some of, that's beautiful, man. I'm really, uh, I'm really inspired by some of your work. What are some of the, uh, some of the behind the scenes kind of feedback and stories you get from families that after they come and listen to you speak? What are some of the more emotional things that you've heard? I think one of the best stories that I've heard um, is, and it continues to happen every year now, where a family member or a family was in line or a person was in line to receive maybe a box of food um, or a week's worth of food or what have you. And then they said that actually started the momentum of them being able to get their life back on track. Um, And then the following year, they come back and they become volunteers. So they're not standing in line anymore to receive the food. They're now serving and giving the food out to families who were uh, just like they were. And so those are the moments for me uh, that make it all worthwhile. And that's how life is supposed to work. When you get to a position where you're having a little bit of success or what you deem as success, you use that position to give back, man. And I really think that um, we get um, position, not position, we get tricked into thinking that our life is about us like our goals our dreams how much money we want to make what house we want to live in what car we want to drive where we want to travel what yacht we want to be on what vacations we want to take and it's not even about that like that's why you go on vacations every single year like the last one wasn't good enough like it's people that are living under bridges it's people that don't have breakfast lunch and dinner it's people that don't have cars but we get so caught up in what we want and what we want to do in our goals and what you find out is when you reach that level that you thought you wanted to get to or you've been working your whole life to get to, it's not going to be fulfilling. It was no different for me when I got to the NFL. I'm like, oh, that's it? Like, this is all I get? I mean, I got a nice paycheck, but that's it? Like, I've been working 15 years to get to the NFL, and this is all it is? Like, this is all it is? It's just the business of the NFL? And so you realize that the money or the fame or the fortune, whatever it may be, is not going to be enough. And so uh, the whole deal is to keep people in line, keep people thinking about, other people and so those are the types of stories that come out of the outreach that we do where people want to figure out a way to do more with their platform that they have you guys check him out roy hall driven foundation he's all over social media uh videos clips i see your your followings growing your, your message is spreading it's beautiful stuff and, and and finally with that comes this podcast i saw that you guys uh launched at the beginning of this year so talk about the podcast a little bit if you would yeah, so uh, me and uh, well, Dave Holmes and I, uh, Dave, Holmes, Dave Holmes is an anchor, sports anchor on 10TV here in Columbus. Um, you know, we do a, a, a weekly podcast on Wednesdays, a 30-minute sports pod, sports and entertainment podcast called the Hall and Home Show. And uh, it's on the Podbean app and on the iTunes app. Check us out, man. It's a lot of fun. We just get a chance to talk sports, um, talk some entertainment stuff, things that's going on in the entertainment world, music, movies, that type of thing. Uh, we built it out to be like a real 30-minute radio show. Uh, so we got, you know, our theme song and gimmicks and all that type of stuff, man, lead-in music. It's a lot of fun, but it gives us an opportunity to give a different spin 
um, on sports and different take on things. And, and our personalities really shine through. And we do a lot of work as well on 10 TV on the Water Wall Sports Show. So uh, it's like a match made in heaven, man. It's a lot of fun. That's awesome, brother. That's awesome. And I still see you got little hops in your game, too. I saw something back with you at Brush doing your little event of, uh, a month ago. You still got some yeah, hops man, in those old, in those old legs, man. Hey, I was uh, in high school. I was about two hundred ten pounds. In college, I played at two twenty five. In the NFL, two thirty five. I'm about two fifty five on all swole right now. <laughs> but I just people I still can get up a little uh, bit. Hey, brother, I really appreciate uh, you coming on today, and um, I'll send you a link to everything. And, and next time you're back this summer, we should get together. Oh man, that'd be easy, man. For appreciate sure, it. for sure, brother. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for coming. Great job, bro. All right, take care. Okay. The Optimal Life. And thank you for listening to another episode of The Optimal Life. Really appreciate the support. And uh, if you guys enjoy what you're listening to and enjoy what you're hearing, as always, please click subscribe and give us the five-star rating so we can continue to elevate the podcast within Apple Podcasts and everywhere else that the podcast is played and provided. And uh, leave us a comment. Leave us feedback. You could. Uh, we're always open to feedback, whether it's positive or negative. So uh, you know, we want to do whatever we can to improve the show. And if there's something that we're missing, then let us know. You could reach me also on Instagram at Nathan Haber. And uh, again, I know that you have a lot of listening options these days. There's a lot of information out there. There's a lot of people sharing different things. So if you are listening to this podcast, and if you're a loyal listener to this podcast, from the bottom of my heart, I want to just say thank you. Uh, very grateful for that, and uh, we're going to continue providing you guys with the best content possible so that we can continue to live an optimal life and be our optimal and best selves. Talk to you guys soon. Thanks.